Welcome. I'm Blake Lindsay, and I'm glad you're here for Zig Ziglar's Inspire Podcast. As he would say, I hope you're doing better than good today. Zig is going to share with us one of his favorite stories, which involves his wife, Jean. With her permission, Zig refers to Jean as the redhead. I enjoy hearing this story where Jean sells Zig on a particular house using sales techniques that she has learned from sitting in on Zig's, you guessed it, sales training classes. Let's listen as Zig Ziglar tells the story. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Another thing you need to understand in closing the sales is that you must not prejudge except in one department. And that is you should convict every prospect you call on that they are customers, not just prospects. Now, until you get there and tell your story, they are suspects. But once you get in front of them and tell your story, then they become prospects. Now we got to convert them over uh, to customers. You need to understand that if you don't prejudge them in that way, a lot of people, and I never will forget a story on David Mezzi from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Dave at that time was selling pharmaceuticals. He had just taken over a territory that a former salesperson had had, and David was getting information from him about the various clients and accounts that they had. And uh, the fellow said to him, well, here's an excellent uh, prospect in this particular hospital. Uh, you will talk to the radiologist there. You'll start with the uh, department that does make the evaluations. Now they got two radiologists, one always buys, the other one never buys. Well, Dave got there and uh, he made the call. The technology guy said, well, what you want to do is you want to go see Dr. Lazzaroni. Well, Dave walked in and made a substantial sale to Dr. Lazzaroni and uh, he became a long-term customer with him. But when he told his friend uh, who had had the territory what happened, he said, that's astonishing. The other guy is the one that always buys. Dr. Larizona has never bought anything. But David, when he made the call, was under the impression that this guy, Lazzaroni, was the one who always bought. And he treated him as a sale, not as a suspect. Your thinking before you get there is so important. We need to understand that. Now, one of the things we need to also understand, we need to use why they can't buy as to why they should buy. 
Their objection could, could be and can be in virtually every case the reason why they can't. Jay Martin uh, owns a company that formerly sold smoke and fire detectors. He tells a story of being out with one of his young dealers one evening, and they called on this prospect, one of these good old boys down home, you know, and uh, he finished the presentation, and he said, well, son, he said, let me tell you my problem. Uh, we had a wreck here a few weeks ago. My wife was hurt real bad. She spent six weeks in the hospital, and when she got out, uh, you know, her job had been phased out, and now just one of us is working. I was in there several days and it kind of halfway crippled me. And he said, I work on peace goods and I can't get around quite as good, so my income is down. Now, I know the insurance company is going to pay the hospital bill, but they sure are making a sweat because the hospital bill is over $20,000 and we just don't have that kind of money. Not only that, but our boy came home from the Navy very recently and he ran at a curve too fast, went in the service station there and tore down a $6,000 oil company sign there. And we sure don't have any insurance on that. Now we don't have the other car. He said, we are really in a jam. Said, uh, not only that, but my mother-in-law, we just put her in a nursing home and we got to pay for that. And then uh, the thing that really intrigued me about this, after all of that uh, trouble there, the young salesman said, well, let me ask you, uh, Mr. Prospect, would that be your only reason why you would not go ahead and invest in these smoke and fire detectors? <laughs> well, he, uh, he said, no boy just slapped his leg. He said, no, son, those are the only reason I wouldn't buy uh, these uh, detectors right now. Well, the young salesman uh, in full stride, never better than eyelash, reached in his briefcase, pulled out the smoke and fire detector, went over to the wall to show how it would look on the wall and said to him, uh, uh, Mr. Prospect, you know fire under any circumstances is disastrous. But in your case, with all the problems you got, a fire would wipe you out. <laughs> now, as near as I can figure, you owe about $30,000 and 300 more. This ain't going to make any difference at all. <laughs> Now, what am I saying? I'm simply saying whatever the objection is, you can in most cases find that as the reason for them buying. When we moved to Dallas, I was teaching a sales and motivation class six days a week. I was as busy as a human being can get, and I worked from nine until nine. Uh, it was a company where they had just brought me aboard as their vice president in charge of training, and I seemed to be the answer to what their problems were because they just hired me to train one week, and then we quickly exploded, needed two weeks, then three weeks, then four weeks. Well, uh, we couldn't live in a motel during that period of time, so the redhead went house hunting, and I mean she really looked for houses, two of them. When she came in that first night at 9 o'clock there in the motel, she sat on the bed, and the bed was just vibrating. I mean, she was excited. She said, Honey, I have found the house. It is absolutely the most beautiful thing you have ever seen. Now, understand, we had had an extended conversation before she went looking as to what would be a, quote, reasonable price to pay for a house. Uh, we settled on a reasonable price. I know it was reasonable because she told me it was reasonable. So I know it was a reasonable price. But before she left, she said, Honey, I suppose I find the dream house. One that really answers every question we've ever wanted in a house. I mean, it truly is a dream house. How much more could we go? I said, Well, uh, we finally decided on $20,000. 
Now today, $20,000, you know, will build you a reasonably nice uh, patio. Uh, but in those days, $20,000 would buy you 2,000 square feet of quality construction. In 1968, things were a little different than they are now. Uh, so she said, uh, could we go the other 20,000? I said, well, I uh, don't think it's a good idea, but yeah, if it's the dream house, we will. Well, she started describing the house. Oh, honey, you absolutely cannot believe it. It's a ranch-style house. It's got four bedrooms, four bathrooms. The uh, den has cathedral kitchens. I mean, uh, it, it's just absolutely incredible. The bedroom is so big, we're going to have to get us a riding vacuum cleaner. She said, it is, it is really something. I said, sweetheart, how much does that house cost? She said, oh, honey, said, you got to see it. I'm telling you, it's absolutely outstanding. The builder's going to wait till 9 o'clock tomorrow night. He's going to take us by and let us look it over. I said, sweetheart, how much is the house? She said, honey, I'm telling you, it's absolutely incredible. I said, sweetheart, how much does the house cost? And she told me. And it was $18,000 more than the maximum, which was already $20,000 more than I thought we had any business of, of, you know, of paying. I said, sweetheart, you know perfectly good and well we can't get a house like that. She said, well, I know that, honey. But, you know, we don't know anything about real estate in Dallas, and that's the reason I want us to go look so we can kind of get a, a benchmark. Well, the next night we walked in, and when we pulled in front of the house, I knew I was in big trouble because that was, oh, it was there. Uh, we walked in, and now I'm not going to accuse the redhead of taking dramatic training, but when we walked in the front door uh, in the hallway, there was a beautiful chandelier. She paused about a half a second, looked up, and looked around. Uh, message delivered, message received. Uh, we, we, we walked in the den and, and the tour started. She said, honey, said, look here at this big den. Said, and, and this den is so big, you know, that big three section sofa we got be absolutely perfect. And look at your fireplace. Now all of a sudden everything gets to be mine. You can use these bookshelves for your books. You can watch your team play right here on Sunday afternoon. You know how you like to do that. And she said, come on back here. She took us back to the back bedroom. See what I told you? Over here we got plenty of room for our two chairs and a little table. You know how we love having coffee together every morning. And look over here. She led me into the closet. She said, even as messy as you are, there's plenty of room for all your clothes here. And come out here, honey. She opened the back door and said, this arrow-shaped swimming pool you've been dreaming about for years, I've already measured it off. There's plenty of room for you to have it right over here. And let's go in the garage here. Plenty of room for two cars and all of the tools and everything else. And right through here, we've got this little space right here. It's 11 by 11. You've been dreaming about that office so you can write your book. Honey, it's absolutely gorgeous. She said, and, and the tour was finished. She said, well, what do you think? There she stood all five feet, half inch of her, grinning at me with those beautiful blue eyes. I said, sweetheart, what can I say? It's beautiful. I love it. But sweetheart, you know we can't buy a house like that. She said, I know that, honey. I just wanted to see it. She said, now we'll go look at something cheap. <laughs> now, come on. You don't seriously think she'd try to embarrass me into doing something I had no business doing. And that's a major point. See, when I walked in the house, I knew that I was in trouble. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to go see it. Your best prospects 
won't give you the appointments. At least they'll be very difficult to get the appointment because they're afraid you're going to talk them into doing something they already want to do and know they should not do. And so those are the ones that you want to work the hardest on. Well, she asked me, she said, Honey, uh, uh, how long you think we're going to be here in Dallas? I said, Oh, another hundred years. This took place the next morning. Now, we did not uh, do much talking about it that night. I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, you know, and uh, she uh, came in and said, How long are we going to live here? And I said, 100 years. <laughs> she said, How long? I took the toothbrush out of my mouth. I said, 100 years. I'm 42 years old, going to live to be 142, 100 years. She said, ah, Come on, honey. She said, Do you think we will be here 30 more years? I said, Well, of course, at least. I love Dallas, a central location for my travel. We'll get here 30 years. I said, Why do you ask? She said, well, now the $18,000, she conveniently forgot the $20,000. She forgot about the original price. She didn't consider the interest and all of the insurance and upkeep and all of those other things. $18,000, uh, 30 years, how much does that figure out to be a year? I said, sweetheart, that figures out to be $600 a year. She said, how much is that a month? She said, I said, it's $50. She said, how much is that a day? I said, now, sweetheart, come on. Your, your arithmetic's better than mine. I said, you know how much it is. It's a buck seventy a day thereabouts. And then she asked the closing question. Honey, would you be willing to invest another dollar and seventy cents a day to have a happy wife instead of just a wife? <laughs> Oh, I don't need to tell you where we live, did I? Oh, okay. I hope you enjoyed that story that always makes me laugh when I hear it. Not only is it humorous, but you can learn from it too. How can you use these same techniques in your selling situations today? Think about how this enjoyable story applies to your life and has some fun in your selling today. For more sales learning, check out our CDs and books by visiting our website at Ziegler.com. Until next week, I'm Blake Lindsay. Live your life to the fullest. Ziegler. Ziegler. Inspiring true performance.